Welcome to City Church. If you're new, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor. God bless you. So glad that you're here. We're starting a new teaching series today that I am so excited about called Call Me Triumph. Boom, there it is, Triumph. Call Me Triumph. We're going to be talking about what does it mean to live a victorious life? What does it mean to really live victoriously? And there's a little verse that we want to kind of build this next six weeks around in 2 Corinthians chapter 14. It's, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 14, it says this, but thanks be to God who always leads us in, what's the next word? That's our big word, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us spreads and makes evident everywhere the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of him. Don't you love that verse? It says that in Christ you can live a life where you are always in triumph. Now, that sounds ridiculous to many of us. Like, how is that even possible? To always live in triumph? What about when you're battling a sickness? What about when you lose your job? What about when circumstances don't work out? What about when there's family tragedy or pressure? What the scripture's saying there is that there is a power not to have everything in your life go perfectly, but to have a perfect joy and peace in the midst of everything in your life. That's actually possible to live a victorious life regardless of what's happening around you. Isn't that exciting? I think that that's very, very exciting. And so, and so the question then, amen, becomes how, right? How do I live a life of victory? Well, we're going to spend the next six weeks looking at how we live a life of victory. And I promise this is going to be applicable to you. It's going to be applicable to you week after week. God is going to build something so profound. I really believe that in 20 years, I really believe this. In 20 years, we'll look back at our church and say, God really started something in the spring of 2017 when we focused on how to live a life of victory. He started something in the culture of our church that, uh, that changed us. We were never the same in Jesus' name. So I want to look at one passage of Scripture today specifically to start to build this, uh, this understanding together. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9. It says, But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you want to jot some notes down today, we're going to call today's sermon, That's My Name. That's My Name. That's My Name. Let's pray and open our hearts to God. God in heaven, we love you. We're honored that we get together this morning and worship the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence. We need you desperately. Every one of us needs you in so many different ways. I pray that you speak to us today and change our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I get so excited. I was just talking to Mike, one of the guys in the church just a little while ago, about lives that are changed by Jesus. I just, I love to see a life changed by Jesus. You look at the Bible, it's full of stories of life changed through Christ, right? So the Apostle Paul is a great example. Here's a guy who was persecuting Christians, who hated the church, has an encounter with Jesus, so classic, has an encounter with Jesus, does a full 180, and then ends up giving his entire life for the gospel and dying in a prison because he loves Christ. He gives his entire life for the gospel, and he says, hey, if God can change me, he can change anyone. Because if you're here today, I don't know how broken or messed up your past is, you probably were not killing Christians and throwing them in jail. 
And here this guy, the Apostle Paul, just has a complete life change. I love that. One of my close friends has an amazing story. Some of you guys know Justin LePage, a good friend of mine and a, a man of God in this house. I met him, I think it was three years ago, just after he had had an encounter with God and turned his life over to Christ. And Justin's story is he was a Marine, uh, served our country in various ways, came back to the States after he was done with his time in the Marines and was battling depression, suicidal, hated himself, hated life, knew nothing about God, and through a supernatural encounter, Jesus reveals himself to Justin. He turns his life over to Christ, begins coming to church. His entire life is transformed and God sends him out as a missionary to go reach the people he was fighting against in the Middle East. And he's been leading them to Christ ever since and traveling all over the world sharing Christ's message. I mean, wow, like life change. Like I love to hear about life change. And here's the truth. If you are a follower of Jesus today, you have an amazing story. You have an amazing story. Now, it may not look the same as someone else's on the outside. Maybe you weren't an addict for 30 years. Maybe you were, but maybe you weren't. Maybe you didn't go through this terrible thing or you weren't suicide. I don't know what your story is, but I know that your story is amazing. And here's how I know. Because if you're a true Christian, the Bible says that it's more than just an outward change. The real significance is an inward change, a supernatural change on the inside. When you say yes to Jesus, it's not just a decision you make. God takes his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to, to take up residence in your heart. And my spirit and God's spirit become interwoven in a supernatural eternal bond whereby now my spirit and God's spirit are made one and forever I will be in fellowship with my creator because I've been woven together with him in the inner parts of who I am and I am born from above or born again and now a supernatural life pulsates through my veins more than just average humanity. There is a transfer, an exchange, a supernatural shift on the inside of me and I'm given a new identity. I love in the scriptures where many of the writers rebuke the church because they're not living by the identity that they've been given. And one example of that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says this, he says, you're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Check out this next phrase. Are you not acting like mere humans? It's like, wait a minute, we are humans, right? Most of us. But what he's saying is, you are human, but you're not merely human anymore. Now the divine seed abides in you. Now the very life of God has taken up residence in your heart. And because of that, you have a new identity. A new identity. I don't know if you remember, back in 2002, a new movie series came out. And the first movie was called The Born Identity. Does anybody remember that? They've now made like a million Jason Bourne movies. It's like the Bourne Supremacy, the Bourne Good Day Off, the Bourne, I don't even know what they are all now, but there's a million of them. But, but that first one, if you remember the movie, Matt Damon, he's this CIA agent who has forgotten who he is, right? He doesn't know his identity. And he goes through the whole beginning of the movie with amnesia and is not sure who he is or what his story is. And finally, he learns through a series of events that there is a safety deposit box at a bank that has information about who he is. And so he, he gets the key and, uh, and he ends up at this safe deposit box and they open the box for him. They close the curtain and he's in there all by himself. 
And here he is in the very first movie, and he opens up the safety deposit box. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, stay with me. And, and he, he opens up the, the box, and he looks in, and the first thing right on top is a passport. And he opens up the passport, and it says Jason Bourne. Has his date, has his, 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 his uh, country of origin, has his birthday, all these different things, and it has his name, Jason Bourne. And you see this relief just kind of come over the actor's face. You know, and he looks at it, and he says to himself, he says, my name is Jason Bourne. My name is Jason Bourne. And he finds comfort in the fact that now here he knows his identity, right? And then there's this moment of panic where he looks back into the safety deposit box and he realizes that there's another passport in there from another country. He's like, oh, that's strange. He opens that and it's got a picture of him again. And now he's Francois Dubois. And he's like, wait a minute, that's not right. And then he opens another passport, another passport. He's got like 15 passports from 15 different countries with 15 different names and birthdays and countries of origin. And he looks at it and there's this panic. He's like, wait a minute, which one is me? Unfortunately for so many of us, you've been spending your entire life in that room with that safety deposit box looking at the various different identities and you're not sure which one's you. You're 56 years old, you've held down four different, five different, six different, seven different careers. You've been married two or three times. You don't know who you are. You're here today and you're in college and you had one major and then another major and then another major and then a minor and a major and a minor and a major and a major and a minor and it's been 14 years, you're still paying for it all and you don't know who you are. Sorry. <laughs> but far too often it's true. We wrestle with this idea of who am I, right? What is my identity? Who am I really? Now, the amazing thing is that 1 Peter chapter 2 starts to give us some clarity as to who we are. Because if we don't find clarity, what ends up happening, I've seen it a hundred times, what ends up happening is we live our life with this fragile, half-built version of our identity, and then tragedy strikes, struggle comes, trials hit, right? And when the trial comes, our entire life is shaken because it wasn't built on a stable foundation of who we are. So the big question, the big question, whether you're asking it consciously or subconsciously, that you've been wrestling with all your life is who am I? Who am I? And 1 Peter chapter 2 gives us one of the clearest and most amazing answers to that question. And as we build this idea of living a consistent life of victory, it starts as we clearly see who God says we are. All right? Come on, turn to your neighbor tell him this is going to be good today. This is going to be good. This is going to be really, really good. It's as if God walks into the room with us at that safety deposit box and he pushes out all those other passports and he hands us just one and he says, this is you. This is you. Define your life through this. Now, if you start in verse 9, he starts it by saying, but you are. And I love that. That's crucial. But you are. I like that he starts the phrase with but, because but acknowledges that there has been some debate about this, right? I know that your dad said you were that. And I know that your boss said you were this. And I know that your ex-wife said that you're that. And I know that people at school said you were this. But you are, right? And he doesn't say, but you should be. And he doesn't say, but you could be. He says, but you are. In other words, your identity in Christ is solid. It's secure. It's fixed. It's not something you earn. It's not something you deserve. It's just something you are. You tracking so far? You are. And then he says a really strange phrase, right? But you are a chosen race. A chosen race race. Now, if you grew up in church, maybe you've heard this statement before, and you can breeze right past it without really thinking about it, but chosen race is a very strange phrase. Because if there's one thing in your life that you didn't choose, it's your race, right? I mean, how many of us chose our race? 
No, right? We didn't. You didn't choose if you were white or black or whatever your race may be, whatever ethnicity combination you are. You didn't choose that. But he's saying that however important your race in the physical may be, which it is, your race in the spiritual is more important. And if you really want to know who you are, you must define yourself not primarily by your outer physical race, but by your spiritual race. And the defining characteristic of your spiritual race is chosenness. Chosenness. You are a chosen race. Now this is weird, right? Because you thought you chose God, right? You thought you chose God. You raised your hand at a church service. You prayed your prayer when you were nine years old. You got baptized when you were 22. Whatever your story might have been, you chose Christ. If you're here today and you consider yourself a Christian, there was some point in your life where you chose Christ, right? Yes? You chose him. Maybe you remember the day. Maybe you were more like one of those people that it kind of happened over a long period of time. But regardless, you did choose Christ. And you say, well, Justin, hold on, hold on. I chose Christ, right? That's how it works. Well, you did. You did choose Christ. That is absolutely true. But you are not chosen by God because you came to God, okay? You came to God because you're chosen. Check one, two. Microphone on. You came to God because you were chosen. In other words, let me scramble your brain a little bit. In other words, the only way that you had the capacity to choose God was by him choosing you before you chose him. You are unable to choose God without him first choosing you. So you came to him because you were chosen. You were not chosen because you came to him. You following that today? Jesus makes it really clear in John chapter 6. He says it like this. He says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. In other words, God drew you by his spirit to come to Jesus. Jesus makes it even more clear in John 15. He says it like this. You did not choose me, just in case you were confused. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you so that you may bear fruit, fruit that will last. I chose you. So while you were choosing me, the only reason you were choosing me was because I had already chosen you. I had opened your eyes. I had enlightened your soul. I had drawn your heart, and I had given you the capacity before you asked for it to come to me. And so then in you choosing me, it was just evidence that I chose you. Now, wow, this is a big deal. Why is this a big deal? It's a big deal. It's the best news in the world. Because it means that if you've truly chosen Christ, your choosing him is evidence that he chose you. And so we see that God establishes for us a new race. And you can write that down. A new race. God wanted me. He wanted me. Now that blows my mind, especially when I think about me. I mean, maybe he could want you. Exactly. I'm crying about it too. How could he want me? I mean, if you think about your life, and if you're honest, you start to wonder, well, of all the people he could have chosen, why did he choose me? Was it because you were so smart? Was it because you were so clever? No, the Bible doesn't say that's why. In fact, I've searched the Bible from Genesis to Revelation asking the question, God, why in the world did you choose me? Because I chose you and I've trusted my heart to you and I've given my life to you and you tell me that if I've done that honestly, that it's evidence that you in fact chose me before I chose you. So if you chose me, why did you choose me? Why? Why would you choose me? God, I look at my story and it just doesn't even make sense. Why did you pluck me out of the crazy world I was living in and you chose me? Why? Well, I've looked the entire Bible. The only evidence or answer I can find, the hint of an answer, is in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Speaking to the people of Israel, applying to us today, God says this, The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, 
for you are the smallest of all nations. Rather, check this out, it was simply that the Lord loves you. Yeah, you can clap about that. I mean, what kind of answer is that? You love me because you love me? That's all you're going to give me? Yep, that's all you need. Stand in awe of the mystery that God chose you. Not because of your merits, not because of your skills, not because of your humility, not because of your ability. Just because. He chose you. And you're a part of a new race. He wanted you. Look at the text again. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood. Have you ever considered how different the life of royalty is from your life? Think about Prince William, for example. When's the last time he worried about paying his electric bill? Probably not that often, right? When's the last time he worried about what school he could get into? All he has to do is say, don't you know who my daddy is, right? I am royalty. Get out of the way, right? That's his world. That's his life. People stop so he can cross the street. I mean, that's the thinking of royalty. The thinking of royalty is a little different than the thinking you and I grew up with. Now, I don't know your family tree or your family story. I know for me, when I look at my family tree, the Kendrick family tree, by the time I was two, all my grandparents had died. And so I never really met any of my grandparents, or my great-grandparents for that matter, and I don't know hardly anything. I have one thing, one thing that my grandma gave me when I was two years old. It's the only thing I know, really, of my grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents. I don't know any it's like a big black hole and so if I'm going to try to find my identity through my lineage I could go on like findyourhistory.com and try to piece things together but the reality is that I don't know any of it for me maybe for you you come from a long line of alcoholics or maybe you come from a long line of successful leaders or maybe you come from a long line of people who were broken and marriages that fell apart I don't know what your particular story is but I would guess that whether you realize it or not you are limiting yourself by the thinking of your lineage. That you don't think like royalty because no one ever told you you were. Now in the Old Testament, the most powerful people in the culture were the king and the priest. The royal priesthood. The king and the priest. Now the king had authority, right? The priest had access. What the scripture tells us is that if you are in Christ, he gives you both to the fullness. He gives you full authority. He gives you full access. You have access to God, and you can carry his name. You have both. You come from a royal lineage. Go ahead and turn to the person next to you and say, you look like a prince or princess. You do. This is reality, that in Christ, now I know it's hard for us to swallow. We think, oh, it's just silly talk. No, 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 no. This goes to the very core of who you are. You've been asking this question your whole life. In Christ, he gives you a new status. A new status. See, God promoted me. You didn't even know it. God promoted you. A new status. This is what the scripture says is true of you. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. Look what he says next. He says you are a holy nation. Now that's interesting. Many of us find our identity to some degree in our nation of origin. You say, Justin, I'm Puerto Rican, or Justin, I'm American, or I'm Canadian, or whatever your history might be. And that's fine that you're proud of your heritage, but what he's saying is you have a deeper heritage. You have been given a passport to heaven, and you've been given a position in heaven that is secure. And no matter how free your country is, 
Because it's run by people, it will always be broken and fragile. You can't trust the government fully. You can't trust the system fully. But where you can find hope and security and consistency and stability is that ultimately you are not a citizen of this earth. Ultimately, you have an eternal citizenship that does not move and does not fade and lasts forever. He's given us a new status, a new race. He's given us a new citizenship. God liberated me. Oh, I hope you're seeing this today. That's convincing. God liberated me. You see what he's doing here? I don't know if you realize it. He just gave us a better answer to the three big problems of our world. You look at the racial divide in our world. You look at the economic divide in our world. You look at the national divide in our world. And we try to solve them through a million natural things. But functionally, what it really requires is supernatural people who have already become stable and secure in an identity that's not dictated to by the world. Instead, it's an identity that's secure in heaven. And when it's rooted in me and grounded in me and founded in me, I'm both humbled because I've been chosen and confident because I'm royalty. And in this collision of humble confidence, you can be an agent of transformation transformation on the earth Woo! come on but he goes even deeper he goes to the very core of your identity he says you are a people for his own possession a people for his own possession he doesn't just give you status and citizenship and race he makes you a part of a new family a new family that god adopted us this is an us thing that together we become something that your family could never be for you fully the local church, not a gathering of people to hear a sermon or sing a song, but a family of faith that goes deeper than blood, that will forever walk in fellowship with one another. This is the mystery of the local church. It is the only organization on earth that will last forever. Long past Google and Microsoft and Apple, the local church will continue on because it's an eternal community, a community that lasts forever. And I don't know what you came in here with when it comes to family. Maybe your dad was harsh and never pleased with you and always thought you didn't do enough. Or maybe your father was missing and never showed up. Or maybe he was there, but he was aloof. He was spineless. He never told you how to live like a godly man or like a godly woman. I don't know what your story is, the deficiencies in your mom and your dad. All of us have different struggles and issues. But what we see here in the text is that now you are a people for God's own possession. That now you have a family that is eternal. And though we are not perfect in the natural, we've been made perfect in Christ. And together, we discover who we are. In Jesus' name. And it all points to something greater. Look at the scripture. That you may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What's the light? I didn't see this till this week. What's the light that he's talking about here? It's the light, catch this, it's the light of your new identity. See, for a long time you defined yourself by the skills that you have or don't have. For a long time you defined yourself by the family that you have or don't have. For a long time you defined yourself by your race. For a long time you defined yourself by your economic status, what kind of car you drive or what side of the tracks you live on. All these different things, but he's saying, no, there's a deeper you. There's a deeper identity that must become more real to you than the outward man. It must become more real to you. And when it does, it's like stepping out into the light. When it, when it does, it's like stepping into a light that you have now stepped into a marvelous light that I'm no longer the addict. 
that I'm no longer the son of a failure, that I'm no longer a liar, that I'm no longer an adulterer, that I'm no longer fearful, that I'm no longer insecure. Now I step into a new identity, into this marvelous light. And what happens when you start living from the light of your new identity? Your life starts to proclaim his excellencies. In other words, you start to display his wonder. Your new identity reveals God's identity to the world around you. And so we find here in the text a new purpose. God revealed through me. It's why you're alive, church. It's why you're breathing. God made you to reveal his glory to the earth. That's what you're here for. You display his splendor in a unique and personal and powerful way. It's the core of your identity and your purpose. God revealed through me. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, say amen. 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 See, a lot of us would say amen, Justin, I believe that. That's very nice and inspiring. A little positive thinking for my day. Thank you. Are we done? Because if we're honest, many of us have heard that before. Many of us have heard preachers say things like that, you know? Or heard Bible verses like this. Maybe you were a little kid. You grew up in a church there. We are a chosen generation. A royal. Maybe you learned that as a kid. I don't know. But we've heard this stuff. It's funny, though. It, it's funny how in real life it doesn't take root a lot of times, you know? For many of us, you say, that's really encouraging. But in real life, like Monday morning, when I'm walking into the office or when I'm sitting down with a friend, in real life, I'm, I'm pretty insecure. In real life, I just went through a really nasty divorce. In real life, I'm pretty obsessed with what people think about me. In real life, uh, I, I struggle with fear every day. In real life, I, I can't share my faith with others because I'm afraid what they'll say. In real life, I don't wake up with a tap in my step and a smile on my face. I wake up frustrated or angry. I just got into a big fight with my friend or my spouse. In real life, uh, this, this identity just... I. I got some baggage. I got some baggage. Now, I'm going to make you raise your hand today. You don't have to if you've got some baggage. But I think that most of us would say that when this gets down to the real thing, my experiences, my story, they're, they're just who I am. I've got, some, I've got some baggage I'm holding on to. I look at the scriptures. I don't know if there's anyone in the Bible who had more baggage than the prophet Hosea. You may not be familiar with his story, but this guy had some serious baggage that he was holding on to. God used Hosea in the Old Testament as a prophetic picture of his people that had been unfaithful to him. And so Hosea is led by God to marry this woman, this woman by the name of Gomer, right? If you know his story, maybe you know some of this. He marries this woman and they have a child. And it's wonderful, you know, here they are, this young family, a husband, a wife, a son, and here's Hosea kind of starting this ministry, sharing God's word with people and everything else. And then something unexpected happens, something tragic Gomer gets pregnant again, which of course in many instances would be a wonderful thing, but in this instance, Hosea was confident that it was not his child she was pregnant with. So I can't imagine what this man began to feel. Here's this woman that he loves, this wife of his. He felt led by God to marry her, and now she's pregnant with a kid that's not his. Now the text infers that it's not his child, and that God is going to use this tragic circumstance to prophesy over Israel. Look at it in Hosea chapter 1. 
he says this, he says, Then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Name her Lo-Rahamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel. I'll never forgive them. Here we are, and this man has a child who's not his, and he's told to name her Lo-Rahamah, which in the Hebrew means you have not received mercy. In other words, I cannot be merciful to you because you're not my child. I've been betrayed. I've been hurt. I've been offended here. And God says it's a prophetic picture of how he feels about the nation, about how he feels about his people because they've been unfaithful. And then something even worse happens to Hosea. Stay with me again. He has a third child. And again, it's not his kid. Can you imagine how this man feels staying with his wife, trying to be faithful to her? And she is unfaithful to him again. And this time it's a son. And the Lord leads him to name his son Lo-Ami. And it means strictly, you are not mine. You're not my kid. This is not my child. You are not of my people. You are not from me. And so now he has these two kids. And I can't imagine what Hosea feels with these two kids. He's named one. You've not received mercy. Lo, Rahama. And another, you are not mine. You are not of my people. Lo, Ami. These are his two kids. Can you imagine what it was like growing up with a dad who named you? You're not mine. I mean, talk about a wound, right? Join soccer team. It's like, hey, there's uh, Ezekiel, and there's Hosea, and there's, you are not mine. You know? Talk about the complex they had. You thought you had problems. At least your dad didn't name you, you are not mine. But maybe he lived that way. Maybe he acted that way. Maybe that's the name that you've taken on. See, what I've found is when you don't have God answer the big question of who you are, you start filling in the blanks yourself with your own brokenness. And you say, Justin, you know, for a long time I've been an addict. I'm talking to somebody. And I keep going back to that same sin again and again. I've said I'm sorry like a million times, but, you know, I just think it's who I am. You know, I tried to, uh, to stay pure and live right, but I keep going back and keep going back. And, and, you know, it's not just something I did. It's something I am, you know. Uh, my dad wasn't faithful to my mom, and my grandpa wasn't faithful to his wife, and my brother wasn't faithful to her, and it's just something I am. You know, I'll always be alone. I'll always be broken. I'll always be uh, a loser. I'll always be untalented. We believe these things about ourselves, and we don't just take them as what we do. We take them as who we are. They begin to become our identity. Now, it's interesting to me that when Peter is trying to teach us about a new identity in 1 Peter chapter 2, he gives us all these new names, right? He says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people. And it's almost as if he knew that some of us would read that and go like, all right, Pete, good word, thanks a lot, positive thinking, appreciate it. So in verse 10, he slips in just another way of saying it. Look at it with me in verse 10. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. <laughs> Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received, wait a minute, those are the names of Hosea's kids. 700 years earlier, the prophet named his children those names. You have not received mercy, you are not my people. He just said, you know, once you carried a name, 
But now you carry a different name. Once you were cursed by your earthly father, but now you've been blessed by your heavenly father. Once you were given an identity in this natural realm that's broken and unfulfilling, but now you've been given an identity in the spiritual realm that's deeper and substantive and everything you need in your life. you got to hear what the Spirit of God is saying today. He's saying your name's not any longer. You are not my people. His name, he's saying your name's not any longer. You have not received mercy. I have undone the very thing that the natural existence around you has done to you. You now are free to carry a new name. Why bring these names back in? Why do it? He wants you to see today. He wants you to see. Come on, this is you. He's talking to you right now. He wants you to see that he redeems the entire story. That no matter where you came from or what you did, no matter how ashamed you are or condemned you feel, he redeems the entire story. There's not a part of it that he can't redeem. No matter how ugly, no matter how broken, no matter how consistent the failure has been, there's a God who has the power to change your story. See, I believe that Peter was inspired by a thought, and I want to give the thought to you today because I believe it's the secret to beginning a life of triumph. I believe it's the secret to beginning a life of consistent victory. It's an understanding that I believe Peter was writing from that inspired this text, and I believe you and I need to grasp fully in our world today, and it's simply this. You can jot it down. Your life moves in the direction of the narrative that you believe. Your life moves in the direction of the narrative you believe. In other words, whether you realize it or not, your entire life is moving in a particular direction. And underneath the surface, you might think it's the direction of your career, or the direction of your family, or the direction of your wallet, or the direction of a thousand other things. And those things are on the outside, but on the inside, you are operating from an identity. And whatever informs that identity determines your future. And when you change the narrative, you find that there's a new power that you never knew about. Your life moves in the the direction of the narrative you believe. See, some of you have been trying behavior modification in your Christian life. You've been trying to change this or change that and change this and change and you can't do it. And you keep struggling and failing and struggling and failing. It's because you're putting new clothes on a dead person. You've got to change the narrative. You're no longer what your dad said you were. You're no longer what your friends told you you were in high school. You're no longer the lies that you've been believing for so long. The narrative changes and the addiction breaks. The narrative changes and the insecurity flees. The narrative changes and hope fills your heart. You see, when the narrative changes, there's a power in your life that's released. Believing activates becoming. Believing, oh, don't miss this, activates becoming. In other words, when I believe what Christ says about me, I now am empowered to live who Christ says I am. It doesn't begin with behavior. Behavior comes after believing. I receive. He didn't say, now you could be a chosen race. Now you should be a chosen race. In fact, he said in 1 Corinthians, why are you acting merely human? That's not who you are anymore. That's not who you are. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not because you feel it. Not because you think it but because you are it. Because you are. And believing that activates becoming that. I wonder, 
What narrative are you believing today? What story about yourself are you believing? Because it's hard to let go of a story you've held on to all your life. It's hard to let go. Some of you, you've been unable to forgive someone who's hurt you because that's all you have for an identity. When you see a greater identity in Christ, you're free to let go of that old hurt because he fulfills what that hurt was trying to fulfill. What story are you believing? <laughs> you know, I was reading this, 1 Peter chapter 2 this week, and it dawned on me that Peter wrote it. You know, the book's called 1 Peter. Peter wrote it. And we know a little bit about Peter, right? Peter's original name was Simon, by the way, and God changed it. God changed it because he was giving him a new identity. But Peter, like you and like me, didn't take to his new identity right away. And so when Jesus was betrayed by Judas, Peter said he'd stand by him no matter what. And yet in the moment of testing, many of us know the story, Peter denies Jesus, pretends that he doesn't even know him three times. Three times he denies his Lord. Three times. And the scripture says it's one of the most moving texts in the entire New Testament. It says that by the third time, Peter realizes what he had done, and he goes away and he weeps bitterly. <laughs> You're in the room right now. And you know what it feels like to not live up to your Christian faith and to walk away weeping bitterly. What do you do in those moments? Well, Peter started to retreat to his old identity. Jesus finds him fishing again, even though Jesus had told him that he was done with his days of fishing. He goes back to who he was because his actions proved to him that he really was just a fake, a failure. He was insecure. And when Jesus gets alone with Peter after he had risen from the dead, Christ finds Peter and pulls him aside. The Gospel of John tells us the story. And he looks at Peter and he does something amazing. Three times he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, I don't know, I think so. Yeah. Here he is all insecure. Jesus looks at him a second time and says, Peter, do you love me? And then a third time, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know I do. <laughs> and it's in that moment, just as Peter denied Christ three times, now Christ redeems him three times over. And he says, that old identity that you've been clinging to, that old identity that says you won't stand true, that old identity that says you won't believe me and trust me, it's broken off you, Pete. Those days are over. You have a new narrative, a new story. See, it's Peter who wrote those words, and I bet he wrote them weeping. Once you were named Lo Rahama, you have not received mercy. Now you're named, you have received mercy. Once you were named, maybe by your dad, maybe by your mom, maybe by your circumstances, maybe by your own failures, you were named, you are not mine. Now, God is speaking to you right now, you have a new name. You are of my people, says the Lord. This is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. In Revelation chapter 2, the end of the book, Jesus stands before the church, and in very figurative language, he says this in verse 17. He says, anyone who hears, who has with ears to hear, must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. If anyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that's been hidden away in heaven. I have bread for you, real life. I have sustenance for you, is what he's saying. I'll give each one of you a white stone, and on the stone, check this out, will be engraved a new name. 
that no one understands except the one who receives it. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? God's trying to get your attention today. You're here today and maybe you followed Christ for 20 years. There's some baggage that he's taking off of your back today. You've been here and maybe today's your day to give your life to Christ. You're going to find out that when you come to him, you can be secure. You can be free from shame. You can be accepted. I love that that text says that he's going to give you a new name that no one understands except you and him. (laughs) You know, there are some things in our relationship with God that you don't even understand about yourself. And yet God, look at me today, knows just what to say to your heart. And I believe that by the Spirit, he's saying it even now. That by the Spirit, even right now, God is saying, come to me. Come to me. Give me that insecurity, and I'll give you confidence. Give me that fear of the future, and I'll give you assurance. Give me that worry about that other person, and I'll give you peace. Give me that lack, and I'll give you abundance. Come to me. I got everything you need. I got a name that no one's going to understand but you and me. It's just us. And I'm speaking it over you now. I'm speaking it over you now. Would you close your eyes right now? Would you close your eyes right now? The last words that Jesus says on the cross are the words that he says to you right now. It is finished. It is finished. Your shame, come on, hear this today, is finished. Your fear is finished. Your old life is finished. You say, I don't deserve this. Of course you don't. This is the extravagance of grace. This is the love that goes beyond human comprehension. Come on, let's pray together. Holy Spirit of God, we believe, we believe that we are, that we are chosen, holy, royal, a people for your own possession. Right now, I receive it. God, fill the very core of my being with this understanding. I give you every insecurity. I give you every lack. I give you every hint of condemnation and fear. I give you all the things that play in my head on Monday morning. God, I give you every aspect of my own broken story. God, I've taken on a name that was passed down to me. Give me a new name right now. God, do a work in my soul right now that no man can do or undo. Lord, allow humility and confidence to collide within my heart as I see that I'm chosen, I'm accepted, and I'm forgiven in Christ. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit.